Today on the Sunshine Economy, the business of the hunt for the COVID-19 vaccine and vaccination volunteers in South Florida. The cog of our existence is proud participants. The global search has included South Florida as drug companies use clinical research firms to find, manage, and follow volunteers. I'm Tom Hudson. Today, hear from those companies and the vaccine volunteers. I needed to step up to show others that it's safe. This is what I felt was the right thing to do, and it was my faith that did motivate me. To be on the cutting edge of medical research to me was always an exciting thing. I'm a 62-year-old man who volunteered to take a shot in his arm. My father, at age 18, he was getting shot at. Somebody had to be the first person to put that arm out and take that first polio vaccine. It's all ahead after the news. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public media. Howard Schwartz may not have been involved in the search for a COVID-19 vaccine if it weren't for Hurricane Andrew. Otherwise, I would have never been involved in a clinical trial. Just when you think you've heard almost all of the ways Hurricane Andrew affected people's lives and led to defining moments, there's how the devastating storm 28 years ago would lead to Schwartz being involved in clinical research trials. Wouldn't have been in my top 100 things I was thinking of doing at the time. In 1992, Schwartz had a gastroenterology medical practice in Kendall near Baptist Hospital. Then the storm hit. And at that point in time, nobody wanted to have a colonoscopy. He was asked by a pharmaceutical company to take part in an antibiotic drug trial to treat a stomach bacteria that can lead to ulcers. He did, and it was the start of a new direction in his medical career. Today, he's the chief medical officer at the Research Centers of America, a clinical research facility based in Hollywood. It's just one of the sites in South Florida where the vaccines meet volunteers. Volunteers who made the choice to participate in the global search for a vaccine. I feel like, you know, somebody had to be the first person to put that arm out and take that first polio vaccine. We will hear from several vaccine volunteers this hour about why they decided to participate in the experiments, what the experiences have been like, and how much they got paid. But first, the business of hunting for a vaccine. The global search has included South Florida and Dr. Howard Schwartz of Research Centers of America. He was a co-founder and owns part of the company. It is majority owned today by a Massachusetts-based private equity investor. Our entire focus for the past probably eight or nine months has been working on uh, any type of testing the safety and efficacy of medications, testing procedures, and vaccines for COVID-19. He described it as the hardest he has worked during his 32 years in medicine, even though the company regularly is involved with vaccine research. We typically do about five to 10 vaccine clinical trials in a year. Um, some of those vaccines are for common things such as uh, flu vaccines, which they're always looking for new ways to improve it. We've worked with HPV vaccines, shingles vaccines, vaccines for bioterrorism. I think last year we did something for anthrax. Uh, human papillomavirus. So we've been working with vaccines for quite some time. Research Centers of America has conducted trials for two vaccines that have received emergency okay in the United States, the Pfizer and Moderna medicines. 
It is working with three others looking for a COVID vaccine, and the company has about 80 employees to manage the projects. Drug companies seek out these clinical research companies to find, manage, and follow volunteers for their experiments, following all the different patient safety practices. The cog of our existence is trial participants. That's Mark Blumling. He's the CEO of Headlands Research. That's the parent company of GEM Research Institute in Lake Worth. Headlands itself is majority owned by a private equity firm based in New York. GEM Research was contracted to work with the Pfizer vaccine that is being distributed and the AstraZeneca vaccine that remains in clinical trials. A big focus on patient recruitment, particularly for the COVID-19 trial, is also to ensure that you have diversity of patient populations. Diversity is both ethnic diversification as well as age diversification. One of the guidelines from the FDA for this particular vaccine is that a quarter of the population be 65 or over. But also in terms of ethnic uh, distribution, you want to make sure that you get people across all different ethnicities um, to make sure it actually reflects the population of the people that you're testing. Headlands Research, the company that owns GEM Research Institute in Lake Worth, is expanding in Florida. It has two other locations already, one in Orlando and one in Sarasota. All three have come under the Headlands corporate umbrella this year. But Blumling said it was not a Florida-focused expansion driven by COVID. Headland's purchase of GEM Research in Palm Beach County this spring is just its most recent buyout. It has a dozen sites concentrated in the southeastern United States. Blumling says the company is profitable. Now, there's no financial risk to the clinical site companies if an experimental drug fails to produce the results necessary to get regulatory approval and bring it to market. The speed at which you can get the trial done is what the the clinical trial size do. They're essentially the nuts and bolts, the cogs that make the engine work. So the value proposition is we need to make sure that whatever therapies are out there, vaccines or otherwise, are safe and effective. That is the mandate of the FDA. The FDA cannot do that without data. And so that data is from trial participants generously giving their time. Herman Goebel volunteered his time and body for a vaccine experiment. He was born in Cuba, came to Miami Beach when he was 10. That was in 1974. He received his first vaccine dose in October, got his second shot four weeks later. My name is Herman Gobel. I am 57 years old. I live in Miami Beach, in the north part of Miami Beach. I am a cybersecurity engineer, which means my job is to eradicate a virus or a company's environment before it has a chance to take root and infect people. And uh, I am in the Moderna trial. I received both the regular and the booster. And I just find it ironic that my job is to actually eradicate a virus and look for the delivery vectors of that virus and stop them there in its tracks. And it's software that I use. And I looked at this and I said, let me look at the science of all the different trials going on and let's see which one to me is an acceptable risk. So I looked at both the Pfizer and Moderna trials, and I found that mRNA, to me, seemed to be the most acceptable uh, risk technologically. I'm a first adopter. I have to. If I don't know what's going on, I can't consider be a subject matter expert in my field. I saw a lot of people that I know getting infected, and I saw a lot of people that I don't know getting infected and dying. I saw that um, that this is something really, really necessary to get our lives back. 
And I also have a family connection to this in a way. My uncle that I never met died in the 40s because the polio vaccine wasn't available. So to me, it's very personal to to take part in this. It was one of the factors that that uh, led me to volunteer. Well, my mother would tell me the stories of everybody in the family, and she told me of an uncle that was very young, that was uh, playful, vibrant, the life of the party, and uh, he developed these symptoms, and he just literally became paralyzed and couldn't speak and eventually just could not respond to any treatment. It went from a cold to paralysis to death in a very, very short period of time. And this was pre-revolution, pre-Castro, pre-everything, where resources just were not available and they lived in a poor part of the country. And to me, that always stuck with me to know that someone didn't have health care and didn't have access to something simply because they were just a few years away from having that. He just happened to be, unfortunately, have that disease at the wrong period of time. I was nervous. I checked in. I signed the, the pre-consent form, which was about 20 pages. And then the process started. As I was driving back home, I didn't feel anything. You know, I said, did I get the placebo? I mean, I'm supposed to have something. No sooner did I sit down and go through my routine again and start getting back to work and typing, because this was on a Thursday, I started feeling a pain in my in the arm uh, and muscle, and it was bad. It was really, really bad. So I simply decided I was not going to take any medication because I fully wanted to document the symptoms or the side effects and be able to report that to the clinician when they called me. Throughout that night, it, it got worse. I had a bit of headache and I didn't have a fever. That feeling lasted about four days. That soreness of the arm, oh, and redness of the injection site. Had I gotten a saline shot, none of this would have been a symptom. We're compensated what they consider to be transportation costs. Um, they give you a, a special debit card. And every time you have a diary entry, if it's considered compensated, they compensate you. When you come in, they compensate you. And when they call you for safety check, they compensate you. I think most of the people simply wanted to be the first because they realize that they have high risk and they simply wanted the vaccine. I felt that way, absolutely, especially since I feel like, you know, somebody had to be the first person to put that arm out and take that first polio vaccine. That's Armand Goebel from Miami Beach. He's just one of the vaccine volunteers here in South Florida. We'll hear from more later on in this program. Still to come, the busy business of the COVID-19 vaccine search in South Florida. We normally would expect to be doing double the number of clinical trials. But as far as the number of patients, that may have gone up two or three times.
We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. Today, it's vaccines and volunteers. In a few minutes, you will hear from Suzanne Sater from Lighthouse Point in Broward County. She owns a dance studio, is a huge Broadway fan, and volunteered to take an experimental COVID vaccine. I'm not a millionaire. I own a dance studio, but it was my little contribution to the Broadway community. As a matter of fact, we do get paid to be in the study. And I decided I'm going to donate the money from the vaccine to the Actors Fund because that's how badly I want Broadway to open up again. Her story of volunteering for the vaccine is coming up. The place where she volunteered is the Palm Beach Research Center. It is helping Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson to conduct trials for their vaccines. David Scott is the CEO. David, welcome to WLRN. How has the vaccine trial and the hunt for vaccines affected business at the firm? The number of clinical trials that we are conducting has gone down. And we normally would expect to be doing probably double the number of clinical trials. But as far as the number of patients, that may have gone up two or three times. We are participating in uh, prophylaxis pretreatment. We're participating in a vaccine for COVID-19. And we are also talking to some sponsors to bring in some post-exposure treatment pro- protocols, you know, uh, investigation products treatments for COVID-19, uh, and then also treatment for patients who are experiencing mild to moderate symptoms. What has been the impact on the business by conducting fewer trials, but yet having more patients come through because of the real intense spotlight on hunting for a COVID-19 vaccine? We have increased our staff. Uh, We have increased uh, the number of staff members that also conduct quality assurance to make sure we're doing everything properly. And it probably has made it a little easier for us. Instead of conducting 10 protocols, we're conducting five protocols. In the case of the vaccine studies, those required uh, people that were generally healthy. And if they had comorbidities, they had other, you know, uh, things like blood pressure, high blood pressure, diabetes, or, or other conditions, but they're generally healthy, as opposed to having a, a discernible disease that we're, you know, conducting the protocol for. So that made it where more patients are eligible. So from a business standpoint, it was welcome breath of fresh air, given that we did starve for six months before that, because while the pandemic pulled everything back, we were as much a victim as as everybody else. Essentially had to wait out as much as we could until the COVID-19 protocols began to get to the point where we could assist and participate as research sites. So as the pandemic was taking hold in the springtime, your business was constricted by that. I'm happy to say that we were able to survive. How will the year wind up financially for Palm Beach Research Center. Is it going to be any better or worse than 2019 or compared to what you expected back in January or February? Probably about the same. Mind you, we had such a recession starting around April that lasted until August that it probably all evens out. And granted, we have increased our staff. We've we've increased our expenses. We've increased our studies. It's all proportional. Uh, we're happy to do it because nobody likes to be bored. 
but yeah, no way. I mean, there, this is, this is not a windfall for us and I would trade it in a minute to go back to when there was no COVID-19 or if we can be far enough post COVID-19 where we can resume normalcy, we would be just fine going back to our normal bread and butter studies and, and helping people with migraines and osteoarthritis at the knee and psoriasis. I mean, there's a plethora of medical conditions that want to be studied by pharmaceutical companies and we'd be fine to resume it. Granted, it's a lot of business right now, but you know, we also had to quote unquote starve to be able to get here. How elastic is the business for that post pandemic business environment or that post pandemic research environment? We're we're ready for post pandemic today. Granted, we do know that there's going to be a number of vaccine studies and treatment studies, and that's for a reason. We know that we're going to be participating in an upcoming vaccine trial for pregnant women. We know that we're going to be conducting a vaccine trial on COVID-19 in people who have a history of allergies. We know we're going to be conducting a COVID-19 vaccine study on a younger po- pediatric population. These things are all in the works. They're all, they're all coming. You know, the industry needs more time to catch up. The studies you mentioned on pregnant women, on kids. Uh, Will Palm Beach Research Center be involved in any of those additional studies? Yes. All of them? That that, that is our hope. We are a research center, not a treatment center. It it, it is all we do. Are you scheduled to participate in any of those right now? As of right now, the answer is yes. For pregnant women uh, getting a COVID-19 vaccine study, I think there are three groups, first, second, and third trimester in the spring of 2021. The summer of 2021 is, is uh, the COVID-19 vaccine in a pediatric population. And you're involved with that research, too? That we, yes, we are. And in the summer slash fall, COVID-19 vaccine in patients who have a history of allergies. Can you share with us which vaccine you'll, you'll be studying with those populations? No, oh, that I do not know. Uh, right now, it's a pharmaceutical company or pharmaceutical companies signing, you know, confidentiality disclosure agreements and seeing if that's a patient population we'd like to be able to work on, uh, asking us what our capabilities are and kind of lining us up as a, a future site. So we're on essentially the short list. Kind of that's how the industry kind of works. They qualify, you know, who, when, where. As we get closer, they'll qualify us more and then come visit us, uh, make sure that we check off all the correct boxes to conduct a clinical trial. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, offer the study to us, then the, you know, negotiate a contract budget and then give us the regulatory documents, get approved as a site and then get trained by them and then begin enrollment. Speaking with Palm Beach Research Center CEO David Scott, more of our conversation is coming up. That facility is where Suzanne Sater volunteered to test out a vaccine. My name is Suzanne Sater and I am a 56 year old dance teacher and dance studio owner up in uh, Lighthouse Point, that's Northern Broward County. Johnson & Johnson is doing a trial with two dosage. So that is the trial that I am in. I'm a big fan of preventative medicine. I am what is referred to as a previvor, and that means I carry the genetic mutation that can cause breast and ovarian cancer. I found out my genetic status quite a while ago, about 12 years ago, when it wasn't really all that talked about. And I had prophylactic surgery to keep myself from getting cancer. I lost my mother at a very young age. So preventative medicine has always been very important to me. If there's some yucky disease out there that I can keep myself from getting (laughs) and science is on my side, I mean, sign me up. I kept reading so many people saying, uh, you know, friends online and family writing comments about 
how they would never get the vaccine. I'm never getting that. It's too fast. It's too rushed. I'm not, I'm never going to have it. Then I did a lot of reading in quarantine about the safety of vaccines. And I thought, well, maybe if I put myself in this trial and I speak up about it, it will be like it was when I found out my BRCA status, my genetic status, because when I went ahead and had that genetic testing and those surgeries, so many friends and family went forward and got tested and took preventative measures. And I felt this could be the same thing. I'm fascinated by science and medicine and to be on the cutting edge of medical research to me was always an exciting thing. There's no doubt. Absolutely. I got the vaccine because I felt fine the whole entire day. I kept, as a matter of fact, I kept telling my husband like, Oh, I believe it. I definitely, I don't feel anything. My arm doesn't even hurt. I was just, you know, annoyed. So I got the injection at around noon and about 10 PM at night, all of a sudden I felt all over body aches, like all the joints in my body just hurting the way I know I feel when I'm kind of coming down with something and I could not keep my eyes open. And I'm, I'm a night owl. I'm usually up till one or two every morning and I just couldn't stay awake. And my temp went up, not a, a lot, like one degree, but enough as a dancer my whole life, I, I kind of know my body and I know if this was a placebo, I will be shocked. Tolerable, but definitely felt it. The compensation was really, I don't even want to say secondary. It was tertiary. It was like, really? Oh, there's money here. I didn't even realize you get you know, money. It's, it's not a, a huge amount. I, as a matter of fact, it's, I don't even think it's a thousand dollars. I think it's maybe a total of 800 or something. And um, it was not a factor whatsoever. But seeing as how the the goal of this is to, you know, have my students be able to come to class and not dance in a mask. I mean, I've got four-year-old, five-year-old kids up all the way up to teenagers who dance several hours in a mask. It's the only action I could think of to take that would make some difference to get this rolling. Oh, God. I didn't want to cry on this phone call, but it's heartbreaking because I'm a, a New Yorker. I was born and raised in New York. I'm a huge Broadway fan. I go back home twice a year and I will see four or five or six shows in the week that I'm there. And I actually was in New York when I, I came home after being there for a week on March 13th. I saw the last three nights of Broadway. And never in a million years did we think it would be 10 months later and Broadway would still be closed. And it was just, uh, I have a lot of students that I've taught that are out working dancers and, you know, selling real estate and working in restaurants and just trying to do what they can to bide their time until a vaccine became available. And that's all they kept saying. I'm not a millionaire. I own a dance studio. But it was my little contribution to the Broadway community. As a matter of fact, we do get paid to be in the study. And I decided well, I'm going to donate the money from the vaccine to the Actors Fund because that's how badly I want Broadway to open up again. 
That's vaccine volunteer Suzanne Sater from Lighthouse Point. Still to come, how the coronavirus vaccine search could change the hunt for new medicines. It could become more cost-effective by shortening that time and by getting those clinical trials done faster. Faster doesn't mean poorly. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Please check out the podcast by searching Sunshine Economy on your podcast app and then hitting subscribe. Ty Russell is used to reporting news about COVID-19 in South Florida. He grew up in Miami and is a reporter for CBS4. He's also a vaccine volunteer. There's a lot of questions, especially in the black community and among minority communities in general. And so I needed to step up to show others that it's safe. His story of volunteering for the COVID-19 vaccine is coming up. Operation Warp Speed is the federal government program that has led to two COVID-19 experimental vaccines being given emergency okay by the FDA. The name is an ambition about how fast a vaccine was needed to help address the pandemic. The plan had the federal government prepay for hundreds of millions of doses of an improved vaccine. That money helped pay for the research. Not every vaccine maker has participated, but the strategy was rocket fuel for the usual research timeline for new treatments. David Scott is the CEO at Palm Beach Research Center, one of the research facilities in South Florida managing vaccine trials for several big drug companies. Operation Warp Speed basically took the idea and told pharmaceutical companies, uh, we will buy your vaccine right now and thus give you an infusion of money. That way, money is not an object. We've bought the vaccine. You don't have to worry about it. The business model is successful. Congratulations. Get the vaccine approved. Get it to where we need it to be. And follow all the FDA guidelines, which they've been. When pharmaceutical companies then said, okay, so wait a minute. We can use your money. We will, you'll basically, we'll give you the vaccine later to make up for it. So that's, you know, you pre-purchased it. There's no money being given away. And we can use that money to fund moving quicker. Because I will tell you that one year ago, from, uh, you know, December uh, 2019, All the way back to when I started in the industry in February of 96, the industry moved at a slower pace. And one of the the biggest things that moved the industry is need followed by money. Generally, to move from one phase to the next required completing the study and then compiling the report and then discussing what quarter to put those expenses on and then to look to see the finances of the company to make sure that they're moving in the correct direction. And sometimes they pivot, move in a different direction. But operational work speeds said, how about this? We'll shorten the cycle between studies to hours, not even, not even months or days or weeks, but hours, because we know what we want to do. The companies that did not participate in Operation Warp Speed took the same idea, which, fingers crossed for me, because I'm in this industry, might stay after COVID-19. I used to know that when you contacted us about a study, okay, maybe I'll see you in, within half a year, and maybe we'll start this you know, within a year and, and you'll be fully running, because it took time to line up sites and, and budgets and all the teams necessary. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, but now... We, we've been approached by a study, and you know, within days, they've come to visit, qualify our site. Within days, we're receiving the contract budget and participating in the study. Are the business practices that have been so accelerated 
for the research facilities. Is that replicable outside of the COVID-19 virus? I'm hoping it does. I'm hoping that pharmaceutical companies can realize, wait a minute, we know what we want to do. And the only thing holding us back is time. And you know, time is money. So what if we threw money at it, we shorten all those cycles. Again, none of the phases were missed. Phase one, phase two, phase three, all went in order, sequential order, and they were all analyzed. They all passed their own internal data safety monitoring boards. They all had full disclosure and produced scientific papers that have been peer reviewed. Nothing's been missed, but it was just shortened. So can that happen across other indications and, and even be applying it to orphan indications where instead of the expense of years of research, you could condense it down to less than a year. Yeah, it could become more cost effective by shortening that time and by getting those clinical trials done faster. Faster doesn't mean poorly. I think on the business side, one of the fascinating things here is how all of the safety mechanisms uh, that are in place have remained in place it's the time frame that has been com compressed and accelerated so much because the global demand for this supply. And the question, I suppose, is how much of that dynamic can be replicated when there's smaller global demand for some new therapeutic that is undergoing the same type of clinical research? Any indication that again, has a market and, you know, between the finances and, and the potential income warrants it, you can absolutely shorten that cycle. There's no reason for that research and development cycle to be as long as we've gotten used to. It, it's, it's, it's disappointing now that it took a pandemic for us to realize that everybody's suffering with all of these medical conditions we could have been addressing a long time ago. And you can apply that to really anything, any indication. That's Palm Beach Research Center CEO David Scott. His facility is one of those managing vaccine volunteers in South Florida. In Miami, Ty Russell decided he wanted to volunteer back in the summer, weeks before there was any vaccine to actually test. And then when the time came to roll up his sleeves, he was ready. I am Ty Russell, 31, live in the city of Miami, and I'm a reporter and involved in the Moderna vaccine trial. I figured I needed to do it uh, since there's a lot of questions, especially in the Black community and among minority communities in general. And so I needed to step up to show others that it's safe. And fortunately, everything has worked out. Uh, perfectly. This is something that could not only help people here in the U.S., but all over the world. And I wanted to just play my little small part and try to help out. I was listening to one of the doctors on the Howard Stern show. I, I believe it's the CBS medical contributor. And he told us the website to go on to if you want to sign up and there was no hesitation. I immediately went to that website and signed up because I was like, okay, this is how you do it. And I waited uh, a few months later, then I got the call and I was like, yes, still interested. No doubt. Like sign me up. I'm, I'm ready. The first appointment was four hours or maybe five. So it was a lot of questions I just wanted to hurry up and get it over with because the buildup 
you know, was starting to worry me. I was like, oh my gosh, they're asking me a lot of questions with, you know, they're just going through the, your medical history and all of that. And as soon as I got the shot, the first injection, I mean, it felt like just getting a flu shot. It was totally normal to me, uh, vitals and all of, all of that. They were good. Uh, so I had to wait there and be monitored to make sure, you know, nothing crazy happened right after uh, that appointment. I went home and then went to the gym because I said, I'm going to live normally, do what I normally would do on a day like today. I was off of work that day. So I went to the gym. Uh, it's 150 per injection. And then they also pay you a lot less than that just for weekly phone calls. And then you have this diary to fill out. So that's probably about 50 bucks for all of the phone calls added up and then the weekly diary that you need to fill out. They put it on a uh, gift card. As soon as, right when you're there, you get the first injection, boom, 150. You get the second injection, boom, they put that on the, uh, the little gift card. At Florida State, I was heavily involved with service learning there. And that really got me motivated to continue that throughout my adult life. Uh, learning how to be involved in the community at Florida State and in Tallahassee really changed my life. And so when stuff like this comes around, when my community is in need, people know I am 100% there to step up. I also have a passion for helping the elderly. And of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic, this is something that's really, really hurting that population. And whatever I can do uh, to help out, I did. Honestly, when you are talking to like before COVID-19, I would go to, um, to, to spend time with seniors. Talking to seniors, you learn more from them than anybody. I mean, that's why they call it service learning. Yeah, I'm there just providing a service, you know, just volunteering. But really, you're learning 10 times more from them because they are just filled with jokes and wisdom. So that's one of the things that keeps me going, you know, just trying to make the world a better place. I've been so fortunate, you know, I, I am healthy. There are just so many people out there who are not. And just seeing that and helping them made me realize this is one thing that I need to do and you know for the rest of my life just do anything to help people you learn so much from other people that's really what drives me i always think about the first moment when i take a look at the diary just filling out whether i have any arm pain whether my temperature is too high or you know it's just asking you a, a bunch of questions. Whenever I'm filling out that diary, I think about the injection and think about how big of a risk it really was uh, because this is new technology. This is a new sort of vaccine that they're trying. So it it is risk, but it was a risk I was willing to take. That's vaccine volunteer Ty Russell in Miami. Still to come, how science and faith came together for another vaccine volunteer. As a scientist, there was that component to it. I understand a bit about biochemistry, and so I, I wasn't afraid of the science. 
and I knew I was going to be in good hands. back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Today, vaccines and volunteers. It's normal business practice for drug companies to pay volunteers for testing out an experimental treatment. The COVID-19 vaccine trials are no different. Participants get between $100 to $150 each time they have to visit the research clinic and a few dollars each time they talk on the phone or make a record of how they're feeling. Money was not a motivating factor for any of the five vaccine volunteers we spoke with. For Ken Roberts, his motivation only increased after learning more about the company behind his experimental vaccine. The interesting thing about it became this connection to my father that I didn't really know about at the beginning. His father passed away decades ago, and this is a connection that may go back to his dad's time as a teenage soldier in World War II. That story is still to come. Gregory Rumo is a man of science and faith who says he became volunteer 001 to test Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine conducted at Palm Beach Research Center. My name is Gregory Rumo. I am a lecturer of chemistry at Palm Beach Atlantic University. I'm 65 years old. I live in Lake Worth, Florida. I moved here three and a half years ago from New Jersey. And I was involved in the Moderna phase three clinical trial of their messenger mRNA vaccine. I had thought I had caught a mild case of COVID back in March, and in May, I was tested for antibodies, and it was came up negative. And I was disappointed because I had wanted to volunteer and give convalescent plasma. So the next best thing to be involved to try to put an end to this was to volunteer for a phase three clinical trial. So it was a civic responsibility. And I guess my faith motivated me as well. You know, it's the kind of a thing where people were dying and I wanted to do something. And so that was what I settled on doing. Palm Beach Atlantic University is a Christ first university. And the faculty that teach here uh, have a biblical worldview. And, you know, we believe that we should be willing to volunteer, to come alongside those that, that may not have the ability or whether it's financial or social or otherwise, and and be helpful in any way we can. Centuries ago, it was the Christians who rushed into the middle of pandemics and basically sacrificed their lives to help those who were sick and were dying. And this is not quite uh, to that level, nor would I even compare myself to some of the frontline healthcare workers that tried to stand down against this pandemic. But um, as a private citizen, this was this was what I felt was the right thing to do. And it was my faith that did motivate me, I have to say, probably more than my civic responsibility. It's funny, I remember a conversation I had with the president of our university one Sunday morning at church with my wife. And we were talking about it. And she turns to my wife and she says to her, well, what do you think about it? And my wife just shrugs her shoulders and held her hands up and said, he's just going to go ahead and do it. He's going to do it. He's the scientist. And, you know, for me, it was really never something I was afraid of. Um, I just thought it was the right thing to do. And as a scientist, there was that component to it. I understand a bit about biochemistry and, and how the biochemistry of messenger RNA works to make proteins. So I, I wasn't afraid of the science. And I knew I was going to be in good hands. <laughs> No, I've never, I've never done it before. It's completely uh, out of my comfort zone, I guess you might say. It, it wasn't that I was uncomfortable. 
but I've never done it before. So um, I'm not a first adopter. Yeah, I wasn't even a first adopter with an iPhone. I don't think I had an iPhone until the five was out. I was stuck on BlackBerry. I think of people who volunteer to go off to war to fight something that's evil, that's out to destroy us. And this was like that. I mean, literally, it was a roll up your sleeves moment where I just said, I, I just want to be involved to do something to end this pandemic. I mean, for us, it's just been, hey, life in South Florida, you know, it's sunny every day. It's good. The kids have been healthy. Um, you would hardly know that there's a pandemic going on. So we've been very, very, very fortunate in our experience through this. But other people have not. We've known people that have been very sick. We've known people that have died from this. You know, the dichotomy, I guess, of, of our life and the lives of other people who were really touched by this severely, it just spoke to my heart and said, you have to do this. You have to do something. So it was never a second thought, never a second thought. I never had to worry about it. I was pretty sure I got the vaccine um, because three hours after I got my second shot, I had a small fever, not high, maybe 99.6, which is something that I can feel. And I was just a little achy. I had a headache. I went to bed early that night and I got up the next morning, felt like somebody had beaten me up a little bit. My shoulders and my neck were stiff. And 24 hours later, the same thing happened. I had a fever, a headache, achy, tired. I went to bed and that was the end of it. And I figured I'd gotten the real thing. And um, until the first or the second week of November, when I gave a double portion of red blood cells here, they were having a blood drive on campus. And one of the things they threw in along with a free movie card was an antibody test for COVID and it came back negative. So either the antibodies went through me quickly or I got a placebo. And I guess that's why they give placebos because there can really be a placebo effect. You can really think that you've, you've gotten a drug when in fact you've not. So I don't know. I honestly don't know. So it's a two-year test. It involves a little bit of um, involvement. I mean, okay, I've had both injections. I don't have to go back for months. Yeah, it's $1,190. They kind of pay it out to you in dribs and drabs. I think I got my first check a couple of months ago. It was $360 or $380, but it wasn't for that. You know, I would have done it for free. That's vaccine volunteer Gregory Rumo in Palm Beach County. Now, still to come, how a vaccine maker may connect a father, son, and grandson through the decades. I'm a 62-year-old man who volunteered to take a shot in his arm. My father, at age 18, he was getting shot at. This is the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. We're talking about the hunt for a COVID-19 vaccine and the role South Florida is playing. Earlier, we heard from the leaders of three research facilities here that find and manage volunteers for drug companies. And we've heard from several vaccine volunteers. Kent Roberts says he's been interested in drug trials, but hadn't been a good candidate for one until the COVID-19 vaccine experiment started. It was only after he volunteered that he learned the company behind his experimental vaccine may have played a role in his dad's life decades ago. My name is Ken Roberts. I'm 62 years old. I live in Coral Gables. I, uh, I'm in the Pfizer study, and I'm president and founder of World City. 
which pays attention to international trade. I am, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm somewhat of a gambler by nature, I guess. Well, I was actually uh, in my general practitioner's office for my annual physical, and I know he does a lot of research and has historically, and I saw the little flyer at the uh, reception desk, and uh, so I said, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, it was that simple. The last time I went in, I guess for the booster, I said something like, I think, I'm starting to think I did get it. Oh, it rattles around your head quite a bit. You know, the whole time you're convinced you have it, then you're convinced you don't, you know, and, you know, oh, wow, oh, wow, I've got like a little bit of a chill here. Oh, wow, I've got a little bit of a headache, you know, and what does that mean? And Yeah, so I didn't know you did get paid when I signed up. I think the deal is you get, uh, you get $119 for each visit. And I think there's five of them. So it ends up being about $600. And then you get then you get five dollars every once a week if you go on your phone and complete this little, you know, I would say questionnaire, but it's not even a questionnaire. It's a list of did you have any of these symptoms in the last week, and you say yes or no. The interesting thing about it became this connection to my father that I didn't really know about at the beginning. Um, I didn't know at the time I was volunteering for Pfizer. At the time, after I found out I was Pfizer, I didn't know the story of Pfizer. I was reading a National Geographic article about pandemics. Read this story about how Pfizer was among all the pharmaceutical companies in the United States asked to mass produce penicillin, then a relatively new uh, drug at the, uh, right before D-Day. It was a business in Brooklyn, you know, and, and they, they figured out a way to mass produce penicillin right before D-Day, basically. And those, they were all shipped over. To, and, and you think about it, it's a pretty, it's sad as well as powerful because it's what they knew they were going to need. A lot of young boys were going to get hurt and hurt badly, and were going to possibly be saved by this penicillin if somebody could get it there in time. Uh, then sort of pieced two and two together and knew my father's role in D-Day and the fact that he got severely injured in it. It just seemed like a nice, you know, nice fit. Like a lot of men of his generation, he didn't talk a lot about uh, his experience in the war. Years after he had died, he died a fairly young man in his mid to late 50s. We didn't know he'd been in the Battle of the Bulge. So my younger brother was talking to a man who was my father's best friend. And my father's best friend said something about it. And my brother said, my dad was in the Battle of the Bulge. So then he asked me, and I said, I didn't know. And he asked the other siblings, we didn't know. We asked our mother. She didn't know. When it came up, he just said he didn't like to talk about it. But um, one of his two Purple Hearts was he was in a Jeep with three other young soldiers. They all got in the Jeep that day. They went over a mine and three of them died. So my father lived, and this is where he got most of his shrapnel injuries, is the best we can piece together. I now have some sense that it's quite possible, though I don't know it, given the amount of shrapnel he had, that that penicillin may have helped save his life, that the Pfizer company may have saved my father's life. So I went into this just thinking, you know, well, yeah, I'll take a shot. I'll take it. It's, you know, it's already in stage two or three. There's really no risk, you know, and people will think you've done something heroic when you really have done nothing, but just take a shot uh, or two, it turns out. It just seemed like a good, a good thing to do. And it seemed like, um, you know, there's so much division in this country in so many ways that, you know, we tend to forget we're Americans first, you know, and that we should all be willing to do our, our small part, right? You know, there were war bonds in World War II and and the victory gardens and and i'm not sure what we've done to fight this particular war much right as a country you know we're we're, we're divided over what we want to do 
and how we want to do it and what's appropriate. I know it's complicated, but it seems like we could do a better job. So it, it seemed like a good thing to do. I'm a 62 year old man who volunteered to take a shot in his arm. My father at age 18, he volunteered at 17, but they wouldn't let him in. Um, He's too young and he was getting shot at. And we'd ask him when we were little kids, what was it like? Cause we thought, you know, the TV show combat, if you remember that show, we thought that was really cool stuff. And we'd play with GI Joes and thought war was really cool. And he would say, oh, it was mainly just shooting at night. You didn't know you, were, you weren't really shooting at anybody. You were just kind of shooting. And, and now I know it was a far different experience for him than that. Yeah. I have a nephew who, a uh, nephew was born two days before my father died. That day, my mother and my father talked and they said, do you want to go see him today, the day of his birth, or do you want to wait till the weekend? And I was on a Thursday. And they said, it's our first grandchild. Let's go see him. And my father died that Saturday. So he was able to see his grandson before he died, which is kind of special. So this, this grandson, who's now 37 years old, is now in the Pfizer study himself. So it's pretty cool, too. Yeah. That's vaccine volunteer Ken Roberts. You can follow us on social media. Look for WLRN on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.